and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a new podcast created to grow you in your faith. If you are tired of being told what to believe or think, this podcast is for you because we want to coach you in how to find the truth for yourself. Are you tired of listening to people denigrate, judge, and criticize what you believe without a strong defense? This podcast is for you. The Salty Pastor cuts through the fog of all the junk that's being said in our culture and gives you the courage to know that faith in Jesus Christ and seeing the world through his Mm -hmm. eyes is the most rational, most logical, most reasonable, most hopeful, most loving way to know and understand the reality of the world around us. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we can't do this without our very own Salty Pastor... (laughs) Dr. Douglas Peake. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're here today. We're in a series called Seven Rules for Life. It's a study on the biblical principles found in the book of Galatians. Now, a lot of people don't preach on Galatians, like through it as a book very often because there's some technical arguments in there. However, when you read it in its entirety, you really see a lot of really important principles that come to light. And we're currently in chapter five, and there's only six chapters, so we're almost done. Almost done, and then we're moving on to our next one. Yes. I'll be sad to see Galatians go, but (laughs) we still have a little bit of time left in it. On Tuesday, we discussed uh, rule number six, live Mm -hmm. free in Christ. We do this by watching out for ways in which we can submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery. Mm -hmm. Uh, You pointed three ways that this can happen to us spiritually. Yeah, the the text in chapter five points out three ways that we can be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And what is interesting is verse one, which is considered a seminal, a... Uh, an a priori, uh, an axiomatic truth, a foundational declarative statement about what it means to know God through Jesus Christ. And that is, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not subject yourself. Mm -hmm. So that, that is like, don't expose yourself and subject yourself to yoke of slavery all over again. He's particularly talking about the Uh, Judaizers in their principle in observing the law. Now, we see that they were susceptible to this in three ways. First, in their minds. He says, who persuaded you? Our beliefs are formed in our minds, in our thought life. And if we start thinking and believing the wrong things about the reality in the world we live or about our own selves, our own identity, we're subjecting ourselves to a yoke of slavery. In our behavior, If we start doing things and living in ways that are incongruent or out of alignment with our new identity in Christ, guess what? We're submitting ourselves to a yoke of slavery. Number three is in our hearts. Our emotional responses and our willful choices form neural pathways in our brain. And what happens is we can submit ourselves to yoke of slavery by developing emotional responses to situations that keep us locked up, tied down, restrained, and unable to grow. So these are the three big ways in this chapter that he points out that we can subject ourselves to yoke of slavery. Well, and as we see in this chapter, uh, Paul points out that the Galatians were on track and then got off mm-hmm. track by people with uh, persuasive arguments. Uh, So here's my question for you today. Mm -hmm. What should we watch out for? Where are these persuasive arguments coming from today? Well, um, there's uh, three or four different areas that we might be able to cover depending upon time. But the first one, I think, is there is a, a persuasive argument in Christianity that is called legalism or legalistic Christianity. So when I say that, 
what comes to your mind when I say legalism? Uh, legalism, I would like as far as Christianity's yes focused. I would kind of think of it kind of like Catholicism's kind of the prim primo okay. example okay. for me. Like they've got a lot of these rituals rules, and rules, rules and things, and you got to go do these things at very specific times, this many times. Like you're yeah. you're doing X amount of hail marys to get your your redemption like yeah. that's kind of what i think about when i think about legal so as long as you're following the rules yeah. it doesn't matter what's happening if in your you heart do whatever you want think whatever you, you want know, as long as yeah. you hit those those guideposts yeah they're they're fine with it and you are redeemed <laughs> and good to go yeah and there's other forms of uh legalistic christianity that uh happen in various things uh there's a, a legalistic uh christianity and what it used to be called fundamentalism and the the, the main point of it was well we just want to focus on the fundamentals right like in basketball it's like you know we got to teach you the fundamentals dribble and shooting you know right but that became fundamentalism you know it's interesting how just one little morpheme you know at the end of a word changes its entire meaning and and so there's this legalism where people were like well yeah you come to faith in jesus but you can't listen to this music you can't play cards you can't see movies you can't do this you can't do that you, you can't do this or that or the other um uh, a form of belief that's pretty legalistic, I think, is uh, LDS, Latter-day Saints. I was going to say, that was the mm -hmm. other one, is they have a lot of uh, le rules that yeah. you're supposed to be doing. You know, and, and the, you know, people, a lot of, some of them don't even know the reason or point behind them, you know, like caffeine or whatever, uh, their stance on caffeine. So, so there's there. There's also legalism in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. Mm. And that is, it's like, yeah, it's so legalistic that they actually uh, postulate or say there's a second definite act of grace. So there's a grace that comes from God that saves you. And then there's another act of grace of God where you can now manifest supernatural uh, gifts of the spirit. And they separate those two. Now, not all do, but... Uh, 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 many do. And what's interesting about that is if you don't manifest those, then you have to, then you are not a spiritual Christian. Many, many years ago in Kansas, I was uh, walking across a campus and this guy came up to me and, and struck up a conversation with me, which I thought was really interesting. He came up to me and then he said, hey, do you believe in God? I said, yes. And he says, uh, the Bible teaches you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to go to heaven. And I said, oh, yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. And he said, well, the sign that you have the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. And I said, well, that's one of them. And he said, well, if you don't speak in tongues then you're going to hell. Hmm. So, so the logic of that was, is you notice how it starts with a good premise, but then it quickly turns to legalism. Right. Right. And, and basically legalism is this, it focuses on the form, you know, the structure, like you do this or you think that, or you say this. So the form hoping that the function behind the form will take place. In other words, the point of the form. So the goal may be to meet God personally or have a personal relationship and faith with him. But all the emphasis is on following the form or the moral codes or the rules with the hope that that personal faith will occur. And I think Catholicism 
it, it kind of operates that way a little bit. And that is, is that, well, if we do this and do this, eventually people are going to wake up and go, oh, it really means this. Right. You know, because when, when I meet with, uh, you know, I have friends that are priests and scholars and I, I read a lot of philosophers from the Catholic Church. Some of my favorite philosophers are Roman Catholics, you know. Hmm. So I have I feel affinity with them. And it's interesting because to them, they all of their emphasis is on the function and the forms are there just to express the reality of the function, which is knowing God through faith, which I find really interesting. So uh, the, this is why Jesus, though, if you think about it, criticized the Pharisees because he basically said, look, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is corrupted. It's filthy. And his point is, is that the whole point of the outward form is supposed to be an expression of the function of being renewed by God. Your heart must be in it, so to speak. So that's so legalism, I think, really cuts across a lot of different ways and people don't realize that it can be in a real strict fundamentalist type church. Uh, legalistic type church. It can also be in a real uh, Pentecostal, you know, word of faith type movement church. Right. You know, it can be there. It can be, uh, it can be outside in other movements. Well, and I think it can come down to even just like within a church, we've always done four songs from the hymnal. <laughs> yeah. We can never not do four songs. Right. Or even using a hymnal. Like yeah. there's churches that are very like, oh, I, I attended a church when I was younger with a friend and they didn't have any instruments on stage. Mm -hmm. It was literally just hymns and that was it. And that was their belief is that, you know, all of the, the drums and the guitars and anything like that's a distraction. Yeah. And you just need to focus on the words of the hymns. And so I've seen that kind of thing happen too, where it's like we do a fairly modern contemporary worship mm -hmm. set here. And for some churches, that's completely like you're getting yeah. away from the, the, the point, right? Yeah. And, and when we focus on the form over the function, it was intended to achieve or the goal or the heart or the spirit behind it, then we're not living free. Hmm. We're subjecting ourselves to a yoke of slavery. And, and this is why I think it's so important to understand because when you raise children and they become teenagers, all their criticism and all their rebellion is always against the form. And so if all, if you're invested hundred percent in the form, then you don't know how to lead and guide your teenager to true authentic faith. Right. Right. Cause you can't answer their questions. You go, well, I don't know why we, you know, have to kneel and then stand and genuflect. I, I don't know. We're just supposed to do it. Right. And then they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And so, but if, if uh, you know the function or the heart or the spirit behind it, you can live free and you can say in a liturgical situation, well, it's designed to, to bring about this and this is what we really are focusing on, you know? And so I think, I think that the best way to raise your teenagers and keep them growing in faith is to live free in Christ and not subject yourself to a yoke of slavery in a legalistic manner by putting all of your emphasis on the forms 
of expression of faith and really focus on growing your faith, your relationship with God. Well, and I kind of think of it as one of the phrases that I've learned that no one ever responds well to is because I said so. Why are we doing this? Because I said so. And that's what I feel like sometimes the legalistic gets into is, well, why are we doing these things? Because we, because, because we have to, Mm -hmm. I said so. There's no, like they don't dive into, well, this is the reason why it's just turned into, well, we do it because we've always done it. And because I said so, so do it. (laughs) See an appeal that's called in logic, that's called an appeal to authority. Right. Okay. And it, in some cases, it's a logical fallacy because an appeal to authority doesn't mean that the postulate is true or not. Right. Okay. So now here's something that's really important. You should say, because I said so, when your children are 10 years of age or younger. <laughs> right. You should always say that. But it doesn't work when they're 15. Once they can start <laughs> reasoning it. Yeah, when their, abstract, when their abstract capabilities kick in full bore, you need to move from appeals to authority to appeals of the heart and appeals of, well, what kind of person do you want to be? You know, And that's where you move from uh, corporal-style punishment like like you're grounded or I'm taking your Xbox away or you can't have your phone or whatever, those types of things, to more like, well, what kind of person do you want to be? You know, I don't think you're this person. I'm disappointed in you. Oh, man. The last time my mom spanked me, I laughed <laughs> while she was doing it, which was not great. And then that was the day that she never spanked me again. And then it turned into, well, I'm disappointed in. Oh, you. So that was that ten was, times that worse. Was way worse. I'm like, I will take the spank. Yeah, just please. just spank me, mom, please, please. Yeah. Well, that. So, so what what we're getting at here is this deeper point: is that don't subject yourself to a yoke of slavery. And the way we do that is we're persuaded to focus on the form, right? So we don't want to be legalistic about it. But here's something really interesting is another way we subject ourselves to a yoke of slavery is through progressive Christianity. This, uh, this new movement of social justice warriors of Christ, you know, kind of a thing. So when I talk about progressive Christianity, since you're younger than me, what comes to your mind? Um, I mean, it would kind of be kind of a swing to the other direction that I kind mm-hmm. of see them as two pendulums. Like there's the all rule following and then there's the, well, whatever makes you feel good. And mm-hmm. the rules aren't as, in, you know, the Bible says this, but you know, that's outdated yeah. text. They did. That doesn't, doesn't apply mean it now. doesn't apply. Yeah. And you don't, they had no idea what they were talking about in today's things. So mm-hmm. it's more about where your heart's at and how it makes you feel. And we'd rather just have you be here. It's mm-hmm. kind of the fluffy church that we've yeah. talked about before. The shallow like, church, yeah, the celebrity just, church. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, come have this, you know, rock concert experience or, you know, have this really like emotionally, it's very emotion driven. Like, yeah. The other one's very rules driven. This mm-hmm. one, I feel like, you know, the logos, well, re- it's a logos, uh, <laughs> And this is more of a pathos kind of a yeah. thing where it's... it's Ooh, very, that's nice. Logos versus pathos. pathos. Yeah. It's you like, rock. Hey, I went to college. <laughs> I learned in some things. <laughs> I don't have all the fancy numbers and letters after my name like you, but I've, I did... Uh, I mean, that was one of my favorite courses was psychology and the, and yeah. that study because it's like, that really is what it's kind of turned into is, is it's either you're trying to appeal to people yeah. who need that rules and the logic or you're appealing to people that want the emotional and yeah. it's like 
that's kind of am I is that kind of how you feel it's very like you know I think you yeah I think you've really nailed it really well I mean you clarified it really well because you know underneath that what you just described is this is that progressive Christianity focuses on the form but believes the form is the function Hmm. so you're right it's a a singular pendulum there they they both are built on the same logical premise but they express it in dramatically different ways another place that you saw this was in the Roman Empire they had a philosophy and uh, they had adopted kind of a dualistic philosophy and it manifested itself in two ways and one way was called stoicism and that was I'm going to deny all of the drives of the flesh. You know, it was very ascetic in nature. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, was a stoic, you know. It's all about thinking and stuff, and I'm not going to, you know, it's very austere in its life. You know, they... Austere. Yeah, you know, they didn't eat big foods, and they didn't enjoy any of the pleasures of this world. And then you had the opposite of that, which came from the same idea of dualism, and that is, is that, well, since everything happens in the conscious realm what you do doesn't matter so do everything Mm. kind of a thing so it's like a lascivious type thing and what's interesting is that the roman empire was converted to christianity primarily because it adopted these ideologies and then christianity came in and said yeah you're both wrong um (laughs) because it isn't a separation and this what is interesting is gnosticism which is this dualistic thought in the Roman philosophy tried to enter into Christianity. And when you read the New Testament, you read the early works of Paul and it's all about like Galatians here. It's all against the Judaizers because that was really early on. And that is, no, we don't have to be Jewish. But then later on, as you read his later works and then you read the apostle John, it shifts against this Gnostic influence. So it was a totally different approach or or uh influence trying to come into the church and and progressive christianity has done that it has basically said that the form is the function for instance the form is love okay our goal is to love well the bible says that god is love and he who loves god is born of god and knows god so when it, I'm all about love, you know, right. you're about love, I'm about love. But in progressive Christianity, what they what they do is they say, well, since the form is love, instead of the truth being love, the form is love. So you see how it shifts from an objective truth-based definition of love to an emotional base. Right. You see, it's a form. Like when I say, I love my wife, you know, you go, well, how do you express that? Well, I use forms. I'll buy her flowers. I'll, I'll uh, celebrate her birthday. I take her on trip. I tell her I love her. I give her hugs. I give her kisses. And these are the forms, right? Well, in progressive Christianity, what they do is they say, well, the forms don't make other people feel loved. And so we ask them, what makes you feel loved? Well, accepting me for who I am. Oh, okay, we'll do that. So what that does is now you've redefined what love is. You see, there's no truth in love anymore, right? We don't speak truth in love. Now it's love is whatever you define it. And that's what we see on these posts. No, love is love, which I look at that and I'm going, oh, well, if I'm a pedophile, man, love is love, right? Right. (laughs) 
<clears throat> you know, if it, what that does is nobody wants to think through the implications of these bumper sticker statements that you guys say, and this has come into the church, you know, um, it, when, when, when in progressive Christianity, because the form is the function, I'm justified in supporting and agreeing to and expressing any expression, any form that I believe is loving, right? So if someone comes in and says, hey, I, I'm this way, you got to love me. Oh, darn, you're right. You know, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, what I mean, just let's let's take this. this what I'm going to do here is you show the fallacy of an argument in logic. It's called argument ad absurdum. And that is, is you just simply reason their position to its logical conclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do when you're let's say you are, are in a family and you're next you live next to a person who's been con a sex offender who lives down the street and you strike up a a, con a a relationship with them very distant right and you're saying look i want to uh encourage you i want you to meet god i want you to find redemption all this kind of stuff and he goes well you you need to love me and accept me and you're like okay i'm here to love you and accept you and you've got to affirm that my lifestyle because this is the way god made me and so you go, okay, uh, I'll do that. And then he says, I want your seven-year-old to come spend the night with me. That, that's where this logic goes. You cannot escape that. And then you're going, well, okay, if I really want to love you, you know. Um, it's really interesting that way. And you see this all across the board. It's not just unique to Christianity. It's unique to other things. Um, you know, I've, I've preached for many, many years. And at times I've quoted Gandhi. I do not hold Gandhi up as any type of spiritual leader, I do hold him up as a person who said some things that I thought were true, but a lot of people don't ha have any idea who Gandhi actually was. Right. And he was explicitly opposed to Christianity. He denied it and spoke against it. Okay. I don't get that. But a lot of people don't know that he slept naked with his nine year old niece. Hmm in order to prove that he was not susceptible to the temptations of the flesh. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that about Gandhi. <clears throat> yeah. That's a lot. So, yeah, you're like, wow, you burst my bubble, man. <laughs> the little bald guy that walked around. Yeah, yeah he, he could do dramatic things, but a lot of people are like, okay, see this dualism of thought comes out in legalism and uh, Christian, and it comes out in progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity is a real problem in the church today. Uh, it is the basis of what I call celebrity Christianity. And celebrity Christianity is, is a little hard to uh, wrap your, your head around a little bit, but you can see it. And that is, is that I don't care. I don't care if uh, some guy starts a church and you know, that church is like, we love our pastor. We want to pay well. And so they buy him a real expensive car. Uh, as a matter of fact, here's a story from you. When I was in my master's program in Wichita, I was in it with a couple of uh, black pastors there in Wichita because there's a lot of black churches there. And his name was Lincoln Montgomery. And Lincoln had the deepest, richest voice. Yeah, I mean, he put James Earl Jones' voice to shame. I mean, I was like, and what was so interesting about him is he was the thinnest guy. 
but he had the bassiest. Oh, low. the bassiest, <laughs> resonating voice, super sharp, super sharp, phenomenal pastor. And so he, we were talking about things in class about the cultural uh, differences. And what happened is, is he said, "Well, I'd like to share a, uh, you know, a uh, situation that happened in my church." He goes, "In in my community, I reflect." the pride of the whole community. So the car I drive is really important to everybody in my church. And he said, so I went out and I bought a brand new BMW. And he said, I pulled up, cause we were talking about how, you know, some of the suburban churches, you know, it's like, well, we park as far away from, so the visitors can park closer. Right. And he goes, yeah, they, they won't let me do that. You know, so I have to pull into my parking space, which is right up front with my new BMW. And he goes, after church, the Dinkins called an emergency meeting and they were concerned. And so after their meeting, they came and talked to me and they said, pastor, we're concerned about the car you drive. And he was thinking, he goes, oh, maybe I, I overdid it. I overshot. <laughs> and he, they go, we go, we, we don't know about, we, 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 it seems a little small to us. It doesn't seem to be as nice as our pastor needs to be driving. Oh my gosh. So he had to explain so to them how, how much a BMW costs. <laughs> and afterwards the deacons were, oh, oh, okay, that's, that's fine, fine then. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> but see, see, the point is, I, I don't care about that at all, right? I don't care about that at all. I, I don't care, you know, if pastors, you know, have really quaffed hair. You know, you're pretty quaffed. I mean, you're pretty cool looking. I'm, I'm not a pastor, <laughs> though, but I'm trying. But I, I don't care about that. I don't care how they dress. I don't care about any of those things. But what, what is very important to understand is that when the form, it's all of those things is what Christianity is. Because what you then are communicating to everybody out in the church that comes to hear you is they're hearing a heresy. And I use that word intentionally. And that is come to faith in Jesus because he's supposed to save you from your problems. And if you follow Jesus, you'll be like me. You know, you'll be cool. You'll have a hot car and a hot wife and, and hot kids and hot shoes and and hot instagram followers and all this kind of stuff and what you never hear is that jesus christ came to save sinners of whom you are the foremost the the biggest problem you have is sin in your life because it it influences everything you think and how do we become subjected to a yoke of slavery in our minds, right? It's what we right. think and believe. Number two, it influences what you do, your actions and behaviors. You can rationalize actions and behaviors. And number three, then it changes and warps and influences your attitude towards your life. So in all three of those things, when you preach or teach a heresy, it ends up with really cataclysmic. I think I said that right. Um, <laughs> it's a catastrophe. For people and it's frustrating for them so i think it's really important to see how progressive christianity as an influence is not good and it subjects people to a uh you know yoke of slavery i think the final way that we do it here's here's one that i think everybody's going to find in interesting and that is is that some people are uh are not living free in christ when they live in discouragement from seeing the direction our nation or the world is going. 
some people think because of the political climate that's that in some ways has been very hostile to people of faith and what i find interesting about that is is that uh don't be discouraged from seeing what the bible talks about becoming a reality you know for instance this is this is people listen to the salty pastor people say man i never knew that i never knew about this social theory i didn't know about uh this the progressive influence of uh, and legalism in the church. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And I didn't know how these movements started and what they really stand for. I didn't know about postmodernism and deconstructionism. I didn't know about this. And now I see it and I'm so discouraged. <laughs> you know, I see it everywhere. And what I'm trying to say is, is that when you start to see more clearly, that will give you the impression that it's everywhere, that it's formidable. And, it, and that's going to discourage you. But you can't be discouraged because we're called to live free in Christ. Here's an example. A while back, my wife and I, uh, she had an old car. It was kind of a clunker, you know. She, it, we bought it used. She'd driven it for over 10 years. And it's like, we kind of need to get you a better vehicle. And so we talked about a certain make and model. And, and, she, and I was like, well, what color do you want, you know? And she's like, well, I want this color. Well, it's really interesting because when we would go out driving, guess what we would see everywhere? That, that car. Color. That yeah. color. In that color. And before, you never noticed them. But now that you're kind of focused on that, guess what? You see them everywhere. See, before, you were kind of a little bit oblivious to all this. Now you see it and you're like, oh my goodness, I see it everywhere. I see it cropping up in school curriculums. I see it here and stuff. Don't be discouraged. Okay, don't be discouraged. The reason the Bible reveals these things and talks about these things and opens our eyes to them is not to discourage us or push us into despair. It is to encourage and strengthen our faith. You see, strong faith is about perseverance. It's about endurance. It's about toughness. It's about courage and confidence. This is the fruit of walking this path of fluff is not enough. This is the fruit of walking the path of, I want to know what I believe and why I believe it. This is the fruit of the journey of discovering how God views the world is it will toughen you and strengthen you. And Satan knows this. He knows that your faith will grow. Therefore, he will try to make it seem like he's winning. You know, in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the, the man of lawless, lawlessness and how he will exhibit false wonders. And what we're seeing right now is many people are resonating with these false wonders, these false ideologies and thoughts, because on the surface, they seem to resonate with what they want. But when we really get people to start thinking and they come to a knowledge of the truth, what they're going to realize is, oh, wow, that doesn't work at all. And so they start to see, wow, history has taught us that some of these ideologies like Marxism, you know, and communism, um, at best you could say are mistakes, but at worst, some of the greatest evil propagated on the human race. So my, what, what I, I understand why people are discouraged, you know, it's like, um, they see what's going on. Oops, sorry. I, I did, hope I didn't 
hurt anybody's ears because I bumped the mic with my hand. I, I don't want to, um, I mean, I understand why people are discouraged, but what I'd like to use is a football illustration. It's a first half. And, you know, it, towards the end of that first half, that other team came out and started you know, they scored some touchdowns off a fumble, off a bad call from the ref, and the team goes in, you know. Well, what kind of team is it? Does a team go in and the coach sit there and go, oh, that call was so bad, we've lost. There's no way we can win now. We're decimated. We're destroyed. <laughs> Let's just give up and go home right now. Hit the shot. Is that what the coach does? No. no. The coach goes, all right, man, we got punched in the face. We got knocked down a little bit, but here's our strategy. We're going to go out and we're going to win the third quarter. So I think that's really important. So what would you say to those who are discouraged about the direction of the world right now? <laughs> well, don't submit yourself to a yoke of slavery by believing a falsehood, right? The first thing I talked about was these things that happen in our minds and they drive what we believe about the reality out there. Number one is what you're seeing is legitimate. What you're seeing is cause for concern, but don't allow it to cause you to believe that Jesus is not on the throne of the universe. Jesus is king. Don't ever forget about that. If things are getting worse, remember, Things have to get worse before he returns. So expect it to get worse, protect your family. Number two, if he's not returning, then we need to figure out how to make it better. So don't allow yourself to believe you've lost, you're losing, Christ is losing, because it's not. Jesus said, I will build my church on this confession of faith and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And sometimes we rattle some pretty heavy duty gates with big chains on them, but never forget the truth, the reality of what Christ spoke. And that is, is that we are victorious. So don't be discouraged, Joshua 9. Be strong, be courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Don't despair, don't be discouraged. He is with you wherever you may go. So our opportunity to be strong and courageous right now is so big because we walk by faith, not by sight. Our sight says things are going downhill, but our faith says Jesus will bring a revival. So let's get specific. What would you tell a, a married <laughs> couple with three kids under 15 to do right now to fan the f uh, flames of their faith and bring about revival? I mean, r r run for office, <laughs> start their own podcast, uh, buy a shipping container, fill it with supplies, and bury it in their backyard. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of options there, a lot of things that we could do. Well, what I would say to you is this is – uh, kind of a few basic things. Number one is always ensure that your family is doing well. Have fun with your kids. Have uh, instill with them in values. If they're going to public schools, take a little time, eat dinner together every night and say, what did you learn at school today? Oh, what do they think about that? What do you think about that? Teach your kids how to think for themselves. 
All right. That's the best thing to do. Conversations with parents and, and protect your family. Number two is protect your family. This is really important by making it financially insulated from all of these left wing policies. If you're in debt, uh, this can really be devastating when these things change. And I'll tell you what, when you're under the burden of debt and then you're facing some big thing that, you know, the promises of this world, hey, we'll pay for it, we'll take care of it, are a temptation to compromise your convictions, right? And you see that happening a lot. And so, Put yourself in a strong financial position. I think that's really important. Number three is build church. The, the notion that you can be a Christian and you don't need church, uh, the climate today is just getting rid of that. Because if you're not in a community of faith and you're not no, learning what you believe and why you believe what you believe, then you're really not following Christ at all. You know, you're, you're a Christian in name only. You're out there. And it's like I said on Tuesday, which was a little salty. And that is, is that you can't say you're a Christian and go out there and be in a gang and selling drugs and trying to hook elementary school kids on drugs and say, well, I'm still a Christian, you know, just accept me the way I am. Yeah, you obviously don't understand the rebirth, uh, the redemptive act, the transformation of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you become perfect. It, mean, it doesn't mean temptations in. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. But what it does do is you kill or die to that old identity. So it no longer has power over you. So you do that. And then finally, I think what you ought to do is not just build your church, but you ought to practice the principle of five. And that is find five people. If you're a young mom, find four or five other women that you help them discover the truth and disciple them in faith over a coffee, Zoom meeting, whatever. And you just pray for their faith. You, you pour yourself. Don't try to win the whole world. You're not going to win anybody on Facebook or Instagram or any of that other kind of stuff. Uh, what you should do is focus on those five people. Think of those five. Disciple those five before you watch the news, before you get on websites and find out all the craziness going on. Because if there's 20 women... 20 moms that find five women. Now we have 120, you know, and then, then if they go out and do it, then you're 750 just moms. Right. You know, uh, if, if you're a guy go out and, and say, you know, take one lunch throughout the, your week and just say, you know, every Thursday at lunch, I'm going to get these four guys together and I'm going to, Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about how to know Jesus. And are they a part of a church? Okay, get in one. If you don't have one, come to mine kind of a thing. And so uh, the principle of five is how you turn the tide. Because I'd like to point out something historically that most people are not aware of. Because, of course, it's not taught in uh, our public education system history curriculums. But if you look at all the seminal moments in the history of America, you know, America... Uh, was a colony, you know, and then a seminal moment, they declared their independence, they fought the Revolutionary War, and they became a nation. So in that short period of time, it went from non-nation to nation status on its own, and it defied one of the greatest world powers known at that time, which was Great Britain. Um, so what happened is, then you go for a period of time, and then you see it kind of just cruise along, a lot of crazy stuff happens, then it propels forward again. 
And then there's another one where it propels forward again, economically and, and socially and all this stuff. And then militarily and it became, and that you see that it didn't do this gradual growth into the superpower it is today. It kind of would take a big leap and then it would kind of flatline for a while. Then take another big leap and flatline for a while and then take another big leap. And that's kind of how it grew. What a lot of people are not aware of is that those three or four seminal growth moments in America's history were always preceded by a revival and a turning back to God. And so if we want to change our country, the best thing to do is disciple other people because that's how revivals happen through prayer. The ministry of prayer, bring about revival, the ministry of the word. That's how you bring about revival, the ministry of discipleship. That's how you bring about revival. And it's the best way for you to make the biggest difference for the kingdom of God is simply by discipling five other people. Well, this was a little bit longer one today, but I think there was a lot to unpack. So we're just really thankful you guys joined us today. Uh, make sure you tune in on Sunday uh, here at Foothills. Pastor Doug will wrap up this kind of week's stuff with the sermon on mm -hmm. Sunday. Yep. And uh, make sure you're subscribed and liking on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment on our Apple Podcasts channel. And uh, we're just so glad you're part of our family here yes. listening to the Salty Pastor. So yep. thank you guys so much, and we'll see you on Blessings. Sunday. Blessings.